week six, stay humble. I'm going to give you a quick recap because I know everyone hasn't been here in the six weeks. This is what's going on. We started out in 1 Samuel where we see this man, the first king of Israel named Saul. Everyone shout King Saul. King Saul was a man who God appointed as king and we found him to be continually disobedient and he was so disobedient to God that God looked at a prophet named Samuel and said, Samuel, I am sorry I ever made this man the king of Israel. So he said, Samuel, I want you to go find the next boy that I'm going to appoint as king. So Samuel goes on this trip to Bethlehem to a guy named Jesse and he says, Jesse, I need to see all your sons. And we found out that Jesse brought all his sons because Samuel was looking for the man that was going to replace King Saul. Because the, the wonderful thing about God is God's like, if you're not going to obey, obey me, I'm going to find someone who will. <laughs> and trust me, I have been there and I have seen that and I have done that and I've been a part of it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So he says, Samuel... I need you to find the next king. He goes to Jesse. Jesse, show me your sons. Jesse brings all the sons, these good-looking dudes who are, like, probably fit and tall, you know, just, you know, just beautiful men, just like Pastor Kyle. It's just ridiculous. And, 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 and God says, don't look, don't look at the outside. Look at the inside. He sees all these people. And all of a sudden, um, Samuel says, Jesse, is these all the guys you got? And Jesse says, well, I've got one more son, but he's just a shepherd. And we talked about how shepherds, that, that was a dirty job. It was a 24-hour, seven-day and night job. David was out in this field shepherding. That was his job. He was taking care of the sheep. He was defending the sheep, all these things. So he comes up, and Samuel says, this is the guy. So Samuel anoints David as king as a young boy. Now, Although he was anointed as king, that doesn't mean he automatically became king. In fact, even though he was anointed as king, he still had to prove himself working as a shepherd. And I want to hit on that really quick because it's in, in this message of stay humble, that's something we need to be reminded of. You may be anointed to do great things, but if you cannot stay faithful in the small things, you will never walk into that anointing. And there's so many people who want big things and big dreams, and God wants you to have those dreams. He wants you to walk into that destiny, but you cannot get into that destiny if you cannot even manage your life at its current state. Complaining will not bring you into destiny. Faithfulness will bring you into destiny. David still had, can you imagine David? Anointed as king, and he's still shepherding. He's still fighting off bears and lions with his bare hands. The scripture says that he would take lions and bears by their jaw, by his bare hands, take them down to the ground, and he would beat them with a club. Um, David was a very skilled musician. We talked about that while he was in the fields, what he had to stay with the sheep. He had to live with the sheep. It was a dirty job, so he probably developed his skill by practicing as a musician. And all of a sudden, through this faithful practice as a musician, he found favor. All of a sudden, King Saul, y'all remember King Saul? King Saul is being tormented by the spirit that the scripture says God sent. That God sent this tormenting spirit to King Saul. And King Saul is, is, is in misery and he, said, and he realizes there's something that's going to soothe me and it's music. So he says, guys, I want y'all to find me the best musician in the land. And guess who they find and suggest? David. They say, we know this shepherd who is an incredible harp player. 
So they bring David into the court. Because he's such a good musician, David starts playing the harp and the spirit and Saul, it's calmed down. And all of a sudden, he finds favor with the king. And the king has no idea that this dude that he brought into his palace is going to be the one to replace him eventually. But he didn't care. He said, this musician is incredible and I need him. So... He, David starts to get around the palace. He's getting close to the king while he is still a shepherd. He's shepherding, and whenever David has a bad, I mean, whenever Saul has a bad day, David comes and plays. Well, all of a sudden, the Israelites, the, 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 the people that Saul was leading, they come up to these, this Philistine army, and there's this big, massive, nine-foot-tall dude named Goliath. And Goliath is taunting them, and he's, and he's lying, and, and he's saying, y'all ain't got nothing, y'all, y'all, are no, y'all are no one, you're nobody, you're weak. The enemy does that so many times to you. The enemy loves to question your identity. Maria was uh, praying that today in the prayer, that there's so many of the taunts of the enemy saying, you can't do this, and you're not able, and you've missed it, and your life's been worthless, and you're never, and you're never, and you're never, and these lies keep coming on. Well, David is doing his job one day, and his father says, Hey, David, all your brothers are at the front line, and they're about to fight a battle, and I need you to bring them some meat, uh, some bread and some cheese. I love bread and cheese. Y'all ever been to Spanky? He's got that bread and cheese? Mm, It's heavenly. If you haven't gone there, go there tonight. You'll be saved. But anyways... So he says, Jesse, I need you to take your brother some some cheese and some bread. Now, David knows that his brothers don't like him. They don't don't like David. They think he's nothing because he's not a warrior. He's just some shepherd. Mind you, a shepherd who can fight lions and bears with his bare hands. So he goes to the front line. He's faithful. He says, okay, I'm going to go. He goes to the line, and he says, hey, I got bread and cheese. And all of a sudden, he starts hearing Goliath. Y'all ain't got nothing. Y'all nobody. Y'all, y'all ain't, y'all, y'all ain't, y'all ain't going to do nothing. Y'all can't win. Y'all are weak. And David's looking around. And the scripture says that King Saul and the whole army, um, the whole army, thousands of men, they're all scared of one nine foot tall dude. And David's like, why y'all letting this guy talk? Who the heck is he that he can defy the armies of God? Do y'all not remember who y'all are? And then the people say, well, no one wants to fight him. And and there's this prize that whoever, well, because Goliath is saying, hey, if you defeat me, I'll be your slaves. But if I defeat you, you got to be our slaves. And then King Saul's like, there ain't no way I'm going to fight that dude. I'm going to give a prize. Anyone that can conquer Goliath, you get free taxes for the rest of your life and you get a wife. And David's like, what? All right. I'll go. And because David had already been around King Saul, he had the favor to get near the king. You can't just approach a king. you got to have the right to get to a king. That's the great thing about Jesus on the cross shedding his blood for us. He gave us the right to approach our father. Because before that, we could never get to him. There was distance. Jesus became the high priest, it says in Scripture, that made a way for us to approach the father. You don't have to go through confession. You don't have to go through a priest. You can just go right to the Father. So David has that right with King Saul. And he's like, hey, man, I'll fight that dude. And King Saul's like, no, 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 you you can't fight him. You're too puny. You're too weak. And he was like, let me remind you what I've been doing the past, you know, 10 years. 
I fight lions and bears with my bare hands and beat them to death. I got this Goliath dude. And Saul's like, all right. So he puts him in his armor, and Saul's like, nah, I'm not used to this. I'm going to go with what I got. And he takes a slingshot and a staff, and he, and he takes some, some stones, five stones. He goes to Goliath. He hits Goliath in the head with a stone saying, you ain't going to talk lies to me anymore. Goliath falls. David goes to Goliath, takes Goliath's sword, which is probably pretty flipping big, and he cuts Goliath's head off. And everyone's like, all right, this dude's for real. <clears throat> Well, King Saul is very pleased with David at this point. Like, this dude can fight. This dude takes care of me. So he goes to Jesse, and he says, Hey, I want to move David in my palace, and he ain't never going to go back to being a shepherd again. And there's so many of us who are kind of in that place where we're so tired of being in this season, and we're like, when am I ever going to get out of it? When am I ever going to get to this next place? The answer of getting to your next place is not complaining about the current. It's staying faithful in the current knows there's, there's some, knowing there's something in your season that is the key to going into your next. I heard a great preacher say this the other day. He said, people always say I'm in a season of transition. Transition is not a season. Transition is going from one season to the next. If you've been in transition for four years, you need to stop being lazy and realize transition ain't supposed to be that long. Yeah, I said it. So David finally gets out of the shepherding and he's in the court, the, the palace, the courts, and he's playing the harp and Saul's all, you know, like being soothed. And, you know, can you imagine King Saul got a personal musician? I mean, the dude is, is set up. Well, one day all these fine women start coming up and singing. And they start singing, we love you, Saul. You've killed thousands. We love you, David. You've killed tens of thousands. And Saul's like, excuse me? A thousand, and you're giving him the credit of, he's killed one giant. And he starts to develop jealousy. Because he's like, I am not, I don't care what this dude has done for me. I am not going to let him get more praise than myself. Because a little thing of pride started to get in Saul. And he said, I am not going to let this happen. So he starts to, to develop this jealousy against David. The next day, now after all of this stuff David's done, Killed a giant, won the battle, soothing tormenting spirits. One day, the, the tormenting spirit gets on Saul. So what does David do? He comes to Saul and he says, I'm going to play the harp. But this time, the scripture says, because jealousy entered, instead of being soothed, Saul picked up his spear and threw it at David twice trying to kill him. And David escaped. Twice. And the scripture says that Saul became more afraid of David. Not because David was a sly dude that could escape a javelin throw, but because the scripture says he saw that David had the favor of God on him. He was scared and realized, I no longer have the favor, David's got the favor. And over the course of the next few chapters, we see two or three times that Saul keeps trying to kill David because he's scared of him. The scriptures tell us that every time Saul tries to destroy David, David gets a promotion. 
The people see him as a great leader. He's leading troops into battle. He's winning the battles. He is going up, going up, going up, going up. And the whole time, he never takes credit for himself. He's saying, all glory to God. This is all about God. This is all about him. Never did it get to in this point did David say, look at me, look at me. He's giving the glory to God. So Saul's growing more afraid. David leads a troop into the battle. And now we come to a place where we remember the deal that Saul made. If you beat Goliath, what is he going to get? Free taxes and a wife. So let's pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 17. <clears throat> is this okay? Y'all called up? One day Saul said to David, I'm ready to give you my older daughter, Merib, as your wife. But first... You've got to prove yourself to be a real warrior by fighting the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, I'll send him out against the Philistines and let them kill him rather than doing it myself. Now, I want you to think about the context of the scripture. David has already proven battle after battle after battle. But Saul says, I'm going to have a crafty way and I'm going to figure out how to kill David. I have tried over and over to kill him with my spear. Now I'm going to use my promise and twist it and manipulate it. And I'm going to try to build his ego and say, I want you to go fight this army. And he's thinking this is going to be great because he's going to die in this battle. Even though Saul became more afraid of David, even though David kept winning, Saul was still trying to kill him. Because an enemy will always try to take out what threatens him. He never tried to kill David until he started seeing David as someone who had more favor than him. And because he saw David as someone who had more favor, his whole objective was no longer let him stay in the palace. His whole life's work was I'm going to kill the man that I'm scared of. And there are so many of us that get to this place where we've grown up into this false truth that if you seek God, then attack becomes less. And we have these prayer meetings saying, if we get under the grace of God, the enemy will go away. But let me just open up to you the truth that's in the scripture. The more you grow in your relationship with God, the more the attacks are going to become. Because as you grow in favor, the enemy gets scared. And he only knows how to do one thing when he gets scared. Let me take them out. You growing in your relationship with God does not mean life gets easier. In fact, it means it gets tougher. It gets harder because you're a threat to the authority of the enemy. And the enemy says, I'm not having that, so let me throw something at you. I, I don't have their permission to use it, but I'm going to use it anyways. Um, we have a couple back here. Uh, I'm not going to say their name just, just in case, but they're, they're getting in church and, and they're serving the Lord and they're, do, they're, they're doing better in their finances and all of a sudden they go on vacation and they get in this massive car wreck and total their car. And it's crazy, like they were dodging a tree and a, tra a trailer hit them and they, they, they did a 360 four or five times hitting a tree and they walked out with a bruise. And they said the very first thing they did when they got out of the car was they embraced each other and they said, thank you, God. Because when you start to grow, don't be surprised that he tries to take you out. 
But what we do is we mess up on the other end. When the attack comes, we lose the thank you, God. We start to get into this rhythm of, God, why would you let this happen to me? God, why, is, why am I going through this? Well, let, let me just answer that question for you. Because you're a threat. God doesn't plan for you to have a struggling life. He planned for you to have an abundant life. But because of sin entering the world, the fact is the enemy is going to try to take whatever he can. Because you pose a threat. Why do you think people wrapped up in sin seem to have less like battles than Christians do? Because they're not a threat. They're so wrapped up in their struggle that they don't have time to think about advancing the kingdom of God. But the moment you start trying to advance the kingdom, emotional stuff starts coming, financial stuff starts coming, spiritual battles start coming, we start questioning if we even believe in God. You know, we don't want to say that in church, but let's be honest. Most of us have probably gone through that. I, as the pastor of this church, have gone through that at times. Like, God, are, like, am I wasting my time here? Have, has anyone ever been there? We go through these times where we start to question everything because we're trying to embrace this idea that as we grow in God, the struggle gets less. But God says, no, 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 no. You are so great that the struggle is going to get heavier because you are posing a threat to his reign. The more ground you take, he's going to try to take you out even stronger. And we spend so much time praying, God, deliver me from this battle. Help me get out of the struggle. Deliver me, deliver me, deliver me. But maybe the battle is not what we need to to be delivered from. Maybe what we need to be delivered from is the pride that you think you're too good to go through a battle. Because what, what we'll do is when battles come, God deliver me, God take it, God take it, God take it, and God's like, I want to use it. God take it, God take it, God take it. I want to use it. Every time a spear was thrown at David, the, the enemy sent, Saul sent David to another battle and he won and his fame grew and his favor grew and Saul's fear grew. But it was growing after every time he went into another battle. He says, I want to use this to your advantage. Stop asking me to take it away and start asking how you want me to use it because I can make all things work together for the good of those who seek me. Pride can be simply divine as this, this irrational, corrupt sense of your personal value over God. This, the, 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 this, this, this corrupted sense of your accomplishments, of your status. We've got to get to this place where we understand that we are not better than the Almighty. And if the Son of God had to be murdered, why are you crying over someone breaking your heart? But there's so many people that go through like these seasons of just trauma from past experiences. You're never going to be able to change the past. But you can certainly get tools and learn from it to, 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 to make sense for your future. He can't change it. But he says, if you seek me, we can change the outcome. Because a root has taken in your life that where an emotional trauma happened to you and I'm going to take you to a place where we don't have to let the fruit of that be your reality. Start seeking me and we can create some new fruit. I'll make that troubled root work for your good. And we find it in 2 Corinthians 1. 
verse 3. Is this all right? Okay, okay. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all, shout it out, comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can feel better. No. He comforts us so that we can comfort others. When, not if, when they're troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God gave us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Did you just hear that? The fruit of God's comfort grows from a tree of suffering. He says, as you suffer, it gives me the opportunity to comfort you in your trouble. And once I comfort you, you know you now have the tools to go comfort others that don't know me. They don't know how to seek me, and they can't be comforted. So if you will embrace the trial, let me shower comfort on you so that you can take that fruit of comfort and disperse it so that people will come to know me and I will get more glory. You see, the battle is still not about your promotion. Your promotion is all wrapped up on giving him more glory. God says, I want more glory. So let me use this battle. Let me use this struggle. Let me use this horrible thing and I can show you how I can comfort you. And once you get it, go disperse it. Go give it. You know why people are not comforted in church? Because no one's learning how to embrace battles and they have no comfort to give. You hear it all the time. I just don't know how to speak into that. Because you never gain comfort from your suffering to be able to. You're still sitting in it. You're still wallowing in it. And you're still saying, God, get me out of it. And God says, I can use it to give you something that others need, but they can't get it unless you get it first. This is good stuff. Verse 6. Even when we are weighed down with our troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. Your troubles that weigh you down is for your comfort and your salvation. When we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you, and then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We're confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God's given us. This is Paul uh, writing to the church at Corinth, and he's saying, you're going to be able to help people through this, and we are embracing our suffering so that you'll get the tools to do it. It's all about staying humble. Staying humble to the fact that God has a purpose for everything, and you have to be aligned with the fact that he wants to use everything. You've got to be aligned with the fact that you are going to have to go through suffering, and you're not too good for it. Well, I don't deserve that. Actually, yes, you do. We don't deserve life. We don't deserve heaven. We deserve eternal torment. We deserve hell. But Jesus says, hold up. Let me pour out my love on these people with grace and I'm going to sacrifice myself so that they can get something they never would have had. Yet we still say, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve this. Why don't you embrace what you've gotten so that you can learn to speak into what other people are experiencing as well? 
they're talking to this church at Corinth, and then they say this incredible thing in verse 8 that, that kind of, it, it, it slaps the face of like almost every lame Christian quote that I see on Facebook every day. It says this. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and we were overwhelmed beyond our ability. I see it all the time. God won't give you more than you can handle. Yes, he will. Let me keep going. Overwhelmed beyond our... Uh, beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would not live through it. You ever been at that place? God, I cannot get through. This is too much for me. I can't handle this. He says, in fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves, and we learned to rely only on God, who raises the dead. He did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We've placed our confidence in him, and we will continue, continue to rescue us. This is what Paul said. We got more than we endured or could endure because it created a necessary de dependence on him instead of our ability. When we embrace this idea that God won't give me more than I can handle, you're embracing the idea that you can handle it more than you need God. God uses traumatic, harsh, big, weighty suffering to open up your eyes. I, I need him. I can't do this alone. This is bigger than me. And because I can't handle it, let me just wrap up in the arms of the one who created and owns everything. And I'll rest in that. I'm going to get the comfort I need so that when other people go through stuff they can't handle, I can say, I've been there. God showed me how to get through it. I'm totally at peace. I've stayed humble. I know it's not about me. So brother or sister, whether you know him or not, here's the comfort. <laughs> Psalm 10, 4 says this, the wicked are too proud to seek God. They seem to think that God is dead. If pride is in you that you think you don't need God, it is an indication that you are not truly seeking him. We try to manage our finances without God's principles. We try to manage our families without God's principles. We try to manage our relationships without God's principles. He says, are you too proud? To understand that you need me? Don't you see that you keep failing? Don't you see that you keep messing up? Let me comfort you and get you through it, but you've got to depend on me. And the more you seek me, God says, the more humble you will become. Because if you're proud and you think it's all about you, you're not seeking. Because those that seek me, pride cannot manifest. So one thing I, I, I picked up on when I was studying the scripture this week, I, I started looking at my life and said, where do I have pride? Because that's the area of my life where I haven't surrendered unto God. That's the area of my life that God looks at and says, wicked. Not because necessarily 
it's I'm sinning, it's there's pride. That fruit is wicked. I need you to cut it out. But if you don't go to the root of why you got the fruit, the fruit's going to keep coming. <laughs> Stay humble. Seekers of God see struggle as an opportunity because they're humble to the fact that it's about more about God than it is about them. When we start seeking God, when that battle comes, it's opportunity. David kept getting spears thrown at him. Saul kept trying to kill David. But David didn't try to take out Saul. He just kept serving where he was supposed to serve. Because David was a man after God's own heart. And he never saw a spear as, I'm too good for this. I don't need this. This is too much for me. He just said, dodge that one. Let's go. He never changed his place. He never changed what he was supposed to do. What was he supposed to do? He never tried to take the throne. He played the heart. He shepherded the sheep. And he led the battles so that Saul, the guy killing him, got glory. Because let's remember, Saul is the king. So every time David won a battle, Saul is the king that led the troops. The enemy got the glory from David. Of course, David got it. Oh, yeah, that's a great man. He's a great leader. But inevitably, Saul is going to get some credit. But what we do is we won't serve people who are against us because we're too good for that, and I'm too this. No, you're not. God has put you in a place to endure suffering, maybe under corrupt leadership, maybe under a bad boss, maybe under these bad things, not to, 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 to get you to realize you're better, but to get you to realize that there is something in you that still needs to learn dependence on him rather than trying to prove yourself to this corrupt individual. There's still, if you're still in it, there is still a lesson to be learned. There is still something that God is trying to disperse on you, but you're not getting it because you're saying, God, deliver me. God, deliver me. I'm miserable. Get me out. Get me out. Get me out. David never said, get me out. He just said, what's next? I mean, can you imagine every time David played a harp, Saul threw a spear? You would think like after the fourth or fifth time that, David, that Saul said, hey, I need a harp player, David would be like, um, my heart broke. <laughs> no, he... I mean, David wasn't stupid. He's probably playing the harp. But he didn't stop playing. He stayed the course. In 2 Corinthians 4, 10 through 11, it says, Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be seen in our bodies. We live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. God, take the suffering away. Take the suffering away. No, you suffer so that people can see that you're relying on him and his strength is greater than the reality of your struggle. Like you could be going through the biggest struggle of your life and the biggest battle that has ever come against you and people say, how in the heck do they get up in the morning because all I know how to do is drink my worries away and, and smoke my worries away and, and go find comfort in the arms of this person and that person. How do they get up? How do they go to work? How do they keep? How do they keep? How do they keep? How do they keep? 
They're seeing the strength of God in the midst of your suffering. And the reason suffering's coming is because the enemy says, I am so scared, so let me try to distract you with battle. Skipping down in that scripture to verse 16 in 2 Corinthians, that's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long, yet they produce for us glory that vastly outweighs them and it will last forever. So we don't look at troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that can't be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. We try to get out of suffering so much that we don't understand that it's producing a far greater thing that you will never see. It's something you will see one day. Now, maybe that one day is eternity. Maybe that one day is in 10 years. But the problem with our society is that we expect fruit immediately. Yet we totally embrace the fact it takes life nine months to be formed in the, in the womb of a mother. Yet we go through a struggle and we won't let 30 minutes pass without doubting something's growing. A life takes nine months to grow. Yet nine hours is too much for us to endure, and we doubt that God did anything. It's been nine years, Kyle. I haven't seen anything. It's growing. There is something that you cannot see that is waiting for you. So have faith in what you can't see, enduring what you can. Is this speaking to anybody? <laughs> People who fix their eyes on heaven see struggle as an opportunity for new levels of glory. It's a new level of glory for God. God getting more credit. This is where David's at. Saul's tried to kill him multiple times. David didn't say, why is this happening? He doesn't say, I serve God. Why? I've been doing right. I've been doing what I'm supposed to do. How could God let this happen? David was doing everything he was supposed to do. But he didn't say, God, where are you at? God, why'd you let this happen? He kept going and he kept enduring. Why? Because he stayed humble. All he cared about was God. Let me prove it. Verse Samuel 18, the next verse, 18. Who am I and what is my family in Israel that I should be the king's son-in-law? Remember, Saul said, let me give you a wife. He said, who am I that I should be your son-in-law? David exclaimed, my, my father's family's nothing. Think about this for a second. Samuel anointed David as king. He had a chance to marry into royalty that he would have a chance at the throne. And his response was not, this is it. I'm going to be king. He said, my, my family ain't worth nothing. I, I can't do this. If pride was there, he would have jumped on the opportunity. But it wasn't about, he said, I'm not worthy. Who am I that I should be the king's son-in-law? His only response is, I don't deserve it. And in verse 19, it says, when the time came for Saul to give his daughter Merib to, in marriage to David, he gave her instead to Adriel, a man from Meholah. In the meantime, think about that. Saul tries to give him his wife. David's like, no, 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 I, I'm not worthy. 
Saul gave his wife to someone else, or his daughter to someone else. David missed out. Well, in the meantime, Saul's daughter, uh, we'll, we'll say Michelle, Mich- we'll say, let's say Michelle, that's easier. Saul's daughter Michelle had fallen in love with David, and Saul was delighted when he heard about it. Why was Saul delighted? Look at verse 21. Here's another chance to see him killed. The whole time Saul was still trying to take him out. And Saul said to himself, but David, he said, David, today you've got a second chance to become my son-in-law. Now think about David for a second. This is the same dude that keeps trying to kill him. And he's like, you want my daughter? And he says, won't you accept the king's, become my son-in-law. Saul told his men, why don't y'all tell David the king really likes you and so do we. Why don't you accept the king's offer and become his son-in-law? When Saul's men said these things to David, he replied, how can a poor man from a humble family afford the bride price for the daughter of a king? Here again, David was staying humble. He was like, I don't deserve it. I'm no one. I'm just a shepherd boy. While he's living in a palace. Let me just pause for a moment and wake you up to something. When you're saved, you are a son or you are a daughter of the king of kings. You are royalty. But you have to stay humble in your righteous robes. You are not better than anyone because you're saved. You stay humble to the fact that you don't deserve what's been put on you that others don't have. Because I see that in church all the time. Christians will get up on this platform and will say like, It's us and then sinners, and they just make me sick. Dude, you're one of them. You're just wearing a robe that they don't know how to to get yet. So stay humble to the fact that even though you might be righteous, you don't deserve. What you deserve is to be right where they are, lost and destined for hell. Stay humble. So in verse 24... Saul's men reported this back to the king. So he told them, tell David that all I want for the bride is a hundred Philistine foreskins. Vengeance from my enemy is all I really want. But what Saul had in mind was that David would be killed in the fight. David was delighted to accept the offer. Before the time limit expired, he and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. Doubled the challenge. And then David fulfilled the king's requirement by presenting the foreskins to him. And Saul gave his daughter Michelle to David to be his wife. David said, I'm not just going to take it. I'm going to go on the assignment that I'm called to. What was the assignment? Another battle. He didn't say, this is my chance to get royalty. He said, what battle do I need to get through to give me access to royalty? And he took it on. And because of that, he got the wife. Saul was trying to kill him. But because David was humble to his call, he was going to endure the struggle. And the fruit of that struggle was he got the wife that put him in the family of royalty. And in verse, is this okay? And in verse 28, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter Michelle loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him. Whole time, take him out, take him out, take him out, take him out. And the same result every time, 
I'm more afraid, I'm more afraid, I'm more afraid. And it says he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. That's how scared Saul was. And every time the commanders of the Philistines attacked, David was even more successful against them than the rest of Saul's officers. So David's name became very famous. His name did not become famous because he married into the palace. His name became famous was because he succeeded in battle after battle after battle after battle after battle after battle. You know how God will, God's name will become great in your life? you embracing battles and coming out on top every time because you're relying on him and not yourself. Why don't people see God through me? Because you're still struggling with the battle that you should have defeated 15 years ago. And you're still struggling. But you don't have to struggle anymore. This is too much for me, Kyle. This is too much for me to endure. Exactly. You're not meant to do it alone. He says, I'm letting this happen so it creates a dependence on me. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. The more you stay humble to the fact that it's not about you, the promotion comes. He says, humble yourselves and I'll lift you up. And I won't just lift you up, but I'll lift you up in honor. The way to win, the way to get through your battles is to say, I'm going to humble myself and depend on him instead of trying to do this with my own might and my own hands. It's okay to say, I can't do this. Because the moment you admit that you can't, you are also embracing the idea that you can with help. And the help, the helper, the advocate, the comforter, the counselor is God himself. He says, the moment you realize that you can't is the moment I step in and Make it possible. The bigger the battle, the, ne- the, the bigger the next level of glory. And it gets hard because preachers can do this wrong and it creates another pride issue because like in, in the charismatic church, we hear those messages all the time, like embrace, embrace your battle so you can get to the next breakthrough and God will promote you. But the promotion is still not about you. Think about David. He kept being promoted so that they saw the favor of God. The promotion for David had little to do with David. It was God saying, how can I get my man who loves me into another place so that I get glory? Your promotion is not about you. It's about him. So when you get out of one place and go to another place, it's not, thank God I'm gone. It's how do I give him more glory? Because the people who are, you know, making six figures a year, uh, you make millions of dollars, they have a whole different realm of people they get in contact with than people who are still struggling to make 50000 It's I, I'm not talking about poor versus rich. I'm talking about you go from here and get to there, not so that you can say, look what I've done, but so that you can get into a new place to give God glory where others can't. You can get to a place in your life where you break through something to say, I can give God glory by showing you what he has given me to get through. 
it's your promotion is never about you. It's never about your worth. God says don't, like the scriptures tell us not to put our worth in, in, in the things of this world. Yet for some reason, everyone in this room is driven by let me succeed. Let me get more money. Let me get the better house. Let me grow my business. Let me do this. None of those are bad things. But the corruption is you need it so that you can find a way to give him glory, not yourself. And if you're wrapped up in yourself, you're always going to struggle with the same thing. And he'll never get to use anything that he's taking you through. Stay humble. And as I'm wrapping up, Jonathan, in staying humble, look where it takes David next. Chapter 19, verse 1. Has this been making sense? Okay. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. Now remember Jonathan. Jonathan loved David as himself. He said, Jonathan put his robes on David saying, even though I'm the one destined for this throne, I see God's favor on you and you're the man. So Saul goes to his son Jonathan and says, I want you to kill David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. He said, David, tomorrow morning you're going to need to find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me and I'll talk to him about you and I'll tell you everything I can find out. Can you imagine the level of comfort that came on David? Jonathan was sent out to kill him. And he was in direct rebellion with his father who could have ended his life in a second. And said, David, I'm looking out for you. Because Jonathan was humble too. He said, this is not about my throne. This is not about my life. This is making, I have a destiny to make sure that this man gets the king's throne. Because God's on him. And then in verse four of the next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David. This is Jonathan talking to his father. He's never done anything to harm you, Saul. He's always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant? How the Lord brought a great victory to Israel as a result? This is years later. Jonathan is replaying all the stuff that David did. You were certainly happy about it then, Dad. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason at all for it. So Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. And afterward, Jonathan called David and told him what had happened. Then he brought David to Saul. Saul just let out an assassination attempt and, Saul's, and Saul and David were standing in the exact same place. And David served in the court as before. David didn't say, Saul, what you got now? David didn't tell Saul where he was wrong. David didn't say, see what you're doing, you're corrupt. David said, okay, I'm going to serve in your court. Well, war broke out again after that, and David led his troops against the Philistines. He attacked them with such fury that they all ran away. But one day, Saul was sitting at home with a spear in his hand. The tormenting spirit from the Lord came upon him again. And as David played his harp, Saul hurled his spear at David. 
But David dodged out of the way. Leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. This is like the fourth or fifth time this has happened. But David is still staying humble. Why? Because David fears getting out of God's favor a lot more than Saul taking his life. All David loved King Saul. He loved him so much because he recognized this man brought me to this place. He gave me the chance. He allowed me to kill the giant. He brought me up as a military leader. I've learned leadership skills. I've learned how to win battles. I love this man. God has called me to serve him. And I don't care how many times he tries to kill me. I don't care how, how twisted his motives are. I don't care how many times he tries to kick me when I'm down. God has told me to serve this man, and I am going to serve him no matter how evil he is. Because all I'm doing is one thing. David said, I'm serving the assignment. And there's so many of us in battles where you're serving an assignment, where the assignment seems like it has no value to you. This, this assignment seemingly probably had no value to David. David hears that he's going to be king, but he keeps saying, no, I can't do that, no, I can't do that. And he serves and he serves and he serves because he's staying humble to the assignment. You don't get to choose when your assignment ends. God does. And there's so many times we get out of a calling to serve because we're fed up and we're tired. I'm tired of taking this, I'm tired of taking that. And God's like, I'm trying to shower comfort on you for your next season to disperse. But you're still not embracing your battle. You're still not embracing your assignment. You see, the scripture says that God gives that tormenting spirit to Saul. You know why? The tormenting spirit never touched Saul until God's favor left Saul. God does not create evil for you. But if you get to the place where you're out of his favor, the only result is that the tormenting spirit will come at you. Well, how do I get out of this fight? How do I get out of this place where the enemy is just attacking me day in and day out? Humble yourself before the Lord and say, God, what would you have me do and where would you have me do it? And when he tells you to serve in the place that you don't want to realize, he is trying to humble you because pride is the most dangerous thing for your life. There was a level of pride that took Adam and Eve out the garden. Well, how do, you, how do you figure they had pride? Because all Satan said was, you can have the same knowledge that God has. And they said, okay. Pride got people depending on themselves so much that God had to destroy the earth and start all over again. Pride is the most dangerous thing that can exist in us. And God loves us too much to let us stay in pride because he wants to see you flourish. So he says, I will do anything I can to keep you humble. It's what he was doing to David. Serve the man trying to kill you. 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 Serve the man that's against your assignment. Serve the man that's against your destiny. Serve him. Serve him. Serve him. I'm teaching. I'm developing. I'm pruning. I'm teaching. Stay humble. God makes all things work together for our good. And he wants to use everything as a teaching moment. I'm going to finish this chapter up and we're going to close.
remember I'm getting a little bit next week, but I'm a teacher. I'm not a preacher, so I know I go a little long, but man, this is good stuff. In verse 11, it says, Saul sent troops to watch David's house because he's destined to kill him. He, I'm going to kill David. They were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. Because of David's faithfulness in a battle, he got a wife that was the king's daughter. King Saul would have believed anything his daughter told him. Why is it, do y'all think that David would have become king regardless of marrying into Saul's family? Of course he would have. He was anointed for it. So there must have been a purpose for getting a wife out of a battle. So look what it says. But Michelle, David's wife, warned them, if you don't escape tonight, you're going to be dead by the morning. So she helped him climb out through a window and he fled and escaped. She took an idol, put it in his bed, covered it with blankets, put a cushion of goat's hair at his head. And when the troops came to arrest David, she told them he was sick and he couldn't get out of bed. But Saul sent the troops back to get David and he ordered, bring him to me in his bed so I can kill him. When they came to carry David out, they discovered it was only an idol in the bed with a cushion of goat's hair. Why have you betrayed me like this and let my enemy escape? Saul demanded of his daughter Michelle. I had to. He threatened to kill me if I didn't help him. Saul would not have believed that lie from anyone else except his daughter. That's why David needed her. Because God knew that there was one time that I needed to create a way for David to be protected in the next battle David tried to kill him. And because of him being successful in battles and serving in the battle he got the very thing Michelle that gave him a way out of this next step the Bible says that God delights in every step of your life which means he always has his hand of protection on you no matter how crazy it gets no matter how hard it may get no matter how good it may look like the enemy's going to win God always has a plan Now here's where it gets crazy. So David escaped, went to Ramah to see who? Samuel, the prophet who anointed him to be king. David hadn't seen Samuel in a long time. A group of prophets, so when he, came, when he got there and he arrived, he saw Samuel leading a group of prophets who were prophesying. What were they doing? Prophesying, someone shout prophesy. They were prophesying and the spirit of God came upon all Saul's men who were going to come kill him, and David began to prophesy. The army set out to kill David, started prophesying. The, when Saul heard what had happened, he sent other troops. And you know what the troops did? They started prophesying. The same thing happened a third time. Finally, Saul said, fine, if y'all can't muster the strength to kill this dude, I'm coming. So Saul, the man who was an enemy of David, who wanted to kill David, arrived at the great well in Saku, and where, where, he says, where are Samuel and David? They're at Naoth and Ramah. But on the way to Naoth and Ramah, the Spirit of God came upon even Saul, and he began to prophesy all the way to Naoth. He tore off his clothes and laid naked on the ground day and night prophesying. And the people who were watching exclaimed, Saul's even a prophet. Pay attention to what happened. All David was doing is was embracing every step 
battle after battle, escape after escape. And he was so humbled in the presence of God that the flippant enemy fell in his presence who did not have God in his life and started prophesying. What were they prophesying? They were prophesying, prophecy is life and it's encouragement. They started prophesying keys that would push David into the position that would take the, the throne from Saul. Saul was prophesying David's promotion. And it had nothing to do with Saul. It had nothing to do with the enemy. It was troop after troop after troop and then the king. All because of one thing. David didn't escape to himself. He didn't look at what he could do. He didn't look at the fact, oh, I've killed lions, I can kill Saul. He went to one place. He said, I have escaped spear after spear and battle after battle. There's only one more place I can go. And he says, let me get in the presence and let me start prophesying. Let me get in prayer. Let me get with my God. And there was a hedge of protection around him so great that the enemy couldn't get near him without prophesying promise. Make no mistake, when you stay humble before God, nothing can touch you. Because you've got a favor on you that the enemy cannot even get near.